The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. After the headlines, I interviewed Jane Wishon, chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters and the political vice president of the Stonewall Democratic Club. Jane and I are going to discuss the election results, the good, the bad, the undecided, unknown. Uh, so stay tuned. Well, here are some headlines from this morning and the very eventful weekend that we had. The election results are in for the most part, and we have a new president-elect Joe Biden and vice president-elect Kamala Harris. So far, Biden has won 290 electoral votes compared to 214 by Trump. 75,309,915 Americans voted for Biden, while 71,048,443 voted for Trump. President-elect Biden's first speech to the nation called for national unity. Folks, the people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory, a victory for we the people. We've won with the most votes ever cast on presidential ticket in the history of the nation, 74 million. What I must admit has surprised me. Tonight, we're seeing all over this nation, all cities and all parts of the country, indeed across the world, an outpouring of joy, of hope, renewed faith, and tomorrow, bring a better day. And I'm humbled by the trust and confidence you've placed in me. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide but unify, who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. And work with all my heart, with the confidence of the whole people, to win the confidence of all of you. And for that is what America, I believe, is about. It's about people. And that's what our administration will be all about. I sought this office to restore the soul of America, to rebuild the backbone of this nation, the middle class, and to make America respected around the world again. And to unite us here at home. It's the honor of my lifetime that so many millions of Americans have voted for that vision. And now the work of making that vision is real. It's a task, the task, of our time. Folks, as I said many times before, I'm Jill's husband. And I would not be here without her love and tireless support of Jill and my son Hunter and Ashley, my daughter, and all our grandchildren and their spouses and all our family. They're my heart. Jill's a mom, a military mom, an educator, 
She has dedicated her life to education. But teaching isn't just what she does, it's who she is. For American educators, this is a great day for y'all. You're going to have one of your own in the White House. And Jill's going to make a great first lady. I'm so proud of her. And I'll have the honor of serving with the fantastic vice president who you just heard from, Kamala Harris. Who makes history as the first woman, first black woman, the first woman from South Asian descent, the first daughter of an immigrant ever elected in this country. Don't tell me it's not possible in the United States. It's long overdue. And we're reminded tonight of those who fought so hard for so many years to make this happen. But once again, America's bent the arc of the moral universe more toward justice. Kamala, Doug, like it or not, your family, you become an honorary Biden, there's no way out. But all those of you who volunteered and worked the polls in the middle of this pandemic, local elected officials, you deserve a special thanks from the entire nation. And to my campaign team and all the volunteers and all who gave so much of themselves to make this moment possible, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you everything. And to all those who supported us, I'm proud of the campaign we built and ran. I'm proud of the coalition we put together, the broadest and most diverse coalition in history, Democrats, Republicans, independents, progressives, moderates, conservatives, young, old, urban, suburban, rural, gay, straight, transgender, white, Latino, Asian, Native American. I mean it, especially those moments, and especially those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb. The African-American community stood up again for me. You've always had my back, and I'll have yours. I said at the outset, I wanted to represent this campaign to represent and look like America. We've done that. Now that's what I want the administration to look like and act like. For all those of you who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself. But now, let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. They are Americans. The Bible tells us to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. Now this campaign is over, what is the will of the people? What is our mandate? I believe it's this. Americans have called upon us to marshal the forces of decency, 
the forces of fairness, to marshal the forces of science and the forces of hope in the great battles of our time, the battle to control the virus, the battle to build prosperity, the battle to secure your family's health care, the battle to achieve racial justice and root out systemic racism in this country. And the battle to save our planet by getting climate under control. The battle to restore decency, defend democracy, and give everybody in this country a fair shot. That's all they're asking for, a fair shot. Folks, our work begins with getting COVID under control. We cannot repair the economy, restore our vitality, or relish life's most precious moments, hugging our grandchildren, our children, our birthdays, weddings, graduations, all the moments that matter most to us until we get it under control. On Monday, I will name a group of leading scientists and experts as transition advisors to help take the Biden-Harris COVID plan and convert it into an action blueprint that will start on January the 20th, 2021. That plan will be built on bedrock science. It will be constructed out of compassion, empathy, and concern. I will spare no effort, none, or any commitment to turn around this pandemic. Folks, I'm a proud Democrat, but I will govern as an American president. I'll work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now. The refusal of Democrats and Republicans to cooperate with one another, it's not some mysterious force beyond our control. It's a decision, a choice we make. And if we can decide not to cooperate, then we can decide to cooperate. And I believe that this is part of the mandate given to us from the American people. They want us to cooperate in their interest. And that's the choice I'll make. And I'll call on Congress, Democrats and Republicans alike, to make that choice with me. The American story is about slow yet steadily widening the opportunities in America. And make no mistake, too many dreams have been deferred for too long. We must make the promises of the country real for everybody, no matter their race, their ethnicity, their faith, their identity, or their disability. Folks, America has always been shaped by inflection points, by moments in time where we've made hard decisions about who we are and what we want to be. Lincoln, in 1860, coming to save the Union. FDR in 1932, promising a beleaguered country a new deal. JFK in 1960, pledging a new frontier. And 12 years ago, when Barack Obama made history, he told us, yes, we can. 
Well, folks, we stand at an inflection point. We have an opportunity to defeat despair, to build a nation of prosperity and purpose. We can do it. I know we can. I've long talked about the battle for the soul of America. We must restore the soul of America. Our nation is shaped by the constant battle between our better angels and our darkest impulses. And what presidents say in this battle matters. It's time for our better angels to prevail. Tonight, the whole world is watching America. And I believe at our best, America is a beacon for the globe. We will not lead, we will lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. I've always believed, many of you heard me say it, I've always believed we can define America in one word, possibilities. That in America, everyone should be given an opportunity to go as far as their dreams and God-given ability will take them. You see, I believe in the possibilities of this, of this country. We're always looking ahead, ahead to an America that's freer and more just, ahead to an America that creates jobs with dignity and respect, ahead of America that cures diseases like cancer and Alzheimer's, ahead to an America that never leaves anyone behind, ahead of America that never gives up, never gives in. This is a great nation. It's always been a bad bet to bet against America. We're good people. This is the United States of America, and there's never been anything, never been anything we've been able, not able to do when we've done it together. Folks, in the last days of the campaign, I began thinking about a hymn that means a lot to me and my family, particularly my deceased son, Bo. It captures the faith that sustains me which I believe sustains America. And I hope, and I hope it can provide some comfort and solace to 230 million thousand Americans who've lost a loved one to this terrible virus this year. My heart goes out to each and every one of you. Hopefully this hymn gives you solace as well. And it goes like this. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, and make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. And now together, on eagle's wings, we embark on the work that God and history have called upon us to do. With full hearts and steady hands, with faith in America and in each other, with love of country, a thirst for justice, let us be the nation that we know we can be, a nation united, a nation strengthened, a nation healed, the United States of America, ladies and gentlemen, there's never, never been anything we've tried we've not been able to do. So remember, as my grandpa, our grandpa used to say when I walked out of his home when I was a kid up in Scranton, he said, Joey, keep the faith. And our grandmother, when she was alive, she yelled, no, Joey, spread it. Spread the faith. God love you all. May God bless America and may God protect our church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The Biden-Harris team launched at Transition46 Twitter account 
Trump says that it's uh, far from over and refuses to concede and cites unspecified pending lawsuits. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. And uh, there are many instances which will be reported very shortly. There's tremendous litigation going on. And this is a case where they're trying to steal an election. They're trying to rig an election. Biden rebuilt the blue wall of Great Lakes states where Trump had won for four years. He also delivered Democrats the strongest performance in a generation in Arizona and Georgia, leading both states by narrow margins as votes continue to be counted there and in Nevada, where CNN projects a Biden victory. And with Biden's victory, his running mate, California Senator Kamala Harris, has made history. 100 years after the United States constitutional guarantee of women's right to vote, she becomes America's first woman, first black and first South Asian vice president-elect. Now for the House of Representatives, the Washington Post has called 416 of the 435 House seats, with Democrats having won 216 seats so far, compared to 200 by Republicans. 19 seats are yet undetermined. The majority that Democrats won back in 2018 is safe, but the party lost seats as Republicans defeated several incumbents in conservative-leaning districts in South Carolina, Iowa, and New Mexico. Longtime Republicans also held on in Missouri, Michigan, and Ohio. The results likely will mean that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has the smallest majority in 18 years. Both parties have 48 Senate seats so far, with the fate of four seats yet undecided. Republicans are clinging to a narrow majority after holding seats in Maine, Iowa, South Carolina, and Kansas, while claiming a Democratic health seat in Alabama. Democrats defeated a Republican incumbent in Colorado, held the seat in Michigan, and were projected to pick up a GOP health seat in Arizona. Races in North Carolina, Alaska, and one in Georgia seat remained uncalled. Both Georgia seats appear headed toward a January 5th runoff. Last week, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows tested positive for COVID-19. On Saturday, there were 126,742 new coronavirus cases, according to Johns Hopkins University. The record marked the fourth day last week that new cases totaled more than 100,000, and the third day in a row that new cases topped more than 120,000, according to a CNN analysis. In 27 states, there have been more coronavirus cases announced in the past week than in any other seven-day stretch since the pandemic began. Azerbaijan and Turkey's genocidal war and ethnic cleansing of Armenians of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, continues. In several confirmed videos released, the footage shows Azerbaijani armed forces use white phosphorus munitions in Artsakh prohibited by the Geneva Conventions to set fires to villages and forests. 
Meanwhile, Turkey continues to recruit ISIS and Syrian mercenaries to fight for Azerbaijan. Several captured Syrian mercenaries were interviewed and admitted that Turkey promised them $2,000 a month to fight for Azerbaijan, plus $100 for beheading of every Armenian. Azerbaijan has ignored calls for a ceasefire from various countries and organizations. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to do something that I don't normally do, which is to really call out a member of Congress. And uh, I only do this when it's absolutely necessary. And it's an exceptional case. And in this case, unfortunately, uh, it's a senator that I've admired and respected for so many years, voted for her, campaigned for her donated to her campaigns uh, through the years, and that's uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. So a couple of weeks ago, I sent her a letter about the ongoing uh, genocidal war that's been uh, unleashed on Artsakh, uh, also known as the Garno Karabakh by Azerbaijan and Turkey, and that it's basically, you know, an ethnic cleansing happening now in real time. I mean, it can't be any more urgent in terms of you know, people are dying on a daily basis. I mean, white phosphorus is being used by Azerbaijan to burn down entire forests and villages and people are dying or their skin has such horrendous marks. I've seen so many photos that are just too graphic to even describe. So I send this letter to Senator Feinstein, who's very well versed in, you know, everything that's happening. I mean, she's a senator from California. She's always had a huge Armenian constituency. And, uh, and also, as a, as a gay man, I've also admired her being a former mayor of San Francisco and having a pretty good record for LGBTQ rights. So I send this letter to her asking her to do something, to, to say something, as so many of her uh, bipartisan colleagues in Congress, uh, members of the House and Senate, have done, um, such as... Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff and Brad Sherman, Congresswoman Jackie Speer, Grace Napolitano, uh, Frank Pallone, and such. And so I'm going to go over the letter that I received back. It's a, it's a sort of a boilerplate uh, auto-reply blast, but it's so tone deaf and it's kind of insulting. It is insulting, I should say. So her first sentence is, Thank you for contacting me to express your views about Armenia and the recent violence in the Garno-Karabakh, Artsakh region. I appreciate the time you took to write, and I welcome the opportunity to respond. Well, the problem with this first uh, paragraph is that characterizing it as the recent violence, uh, she fails to actually uh, mention that it's, it's a war that was pre-planned by Azerbaijan and Turkey, that was waged against Artsakh and Armenia. It's not some quote-unquote violence where it's a 50-50 both sides issue. That's one of the problems with this narrative of the, the two sides. If It's sort of not taking, not really pointing out who is the aggressor here. Then her second paragraph says, like you, I'm horrified by the terrible violence committed against the Armenian people throughout history from mass exterminations during the Armenian genocide at the beginning of the 20th century to the violent pogroms against Armenians just as a few decades ago. 
I share your desire to ensure that these dark chapters of history are never forgotten or repeated. Well, that's really nice, but it's kind of rhetoric. It's, it sound bites. It doesn't really say anything. What are you actually doing to see that it, it, it doesn't get repeated again? Because it's getting repeated right now, and that's the point. The point is I'm writing you a letter telling you that it's being repeated right now. And what are you doing about it? You're giving me a little history lesson? I already know that. And of course, she doesn't uh, mention that the pogroms were against, that were committed against Armenians were ordered by Azerbaijan. Her third paragraph says, I'm deeply troubled by the recent increase in tensions and violence in the region. Well, again, she's making a generic statement, not really mentioning that there wouldn't be any violence or tensions had it not been to an attack by Azerbaijan and Turkey on Artsakh. It's just absurd. Why not say what the truth is? I also condemn attacks at Armenian churches and schools in California and support the swift law law enforcement response to hold these responsible uh, accountable. I strongly support efforts by the United States and other nations to bring Armenia and Azerbaijan together for peaceful negotiations and to ensure compliance with international agreements. Well, I don't know if she has done her homework or her staff has, but three ceasefires were brokered, two by Russia and one by the U.S., and Azerbaijan broke all three of them. There was an additional fourth agreement not to target civilians that Azerbaijan also broke, and Azerbaijan on a daily basis uh, shells Armenians of Artsakh with, with cluster bombs, which are illegal. So her statement is either tone deaf or it just... It just means nothing. Uh, it's very sad. Then she goes on to say, please know that I'm closely monitoring developments in the region and I will keep your thoughts in mind should any relevant legislation come before me in the Senate for consideration. Wow. This is, this is the, this is the part where I said, okay, I've got to really talk about this. She claims that she's closely monitoring the developments. <laughs> Clearly from her letter, she's not because she would have known that Azerbaijan and Turkey are not interested in peace or ceasefires or any agreements or negotiations. That's been done. And she also would have known that history is repeating itself and it's happening right now. And if she wanted to do something, that she would have. Then she goes on to say that she will keep her thoughts in mind should any relevant legislation come before me in the Senate for consideration. So let me get this straight. People are dying now. They're being beheaded. Mercenaries brought from Syria and ISIS mercenaries hired by Turkey and Azerbaijan are paid $2,000 a month to kill Armenians and a $100 bonus for every Armenian beheaded. And you want everyone to wait until legislation goes through the Senate? Really? Seriously, Senator Feinstein? This is your answer? This is your answer to a major, major humanitarian catastrophe that is happening right now to, to Armenians, people that you know very well because they have supported you and they are in your state, they are in your district, and they are in your, their, your constituency. And this is your answer, that you're going to wait until something goes through legislation? This is another genocide happening. Let's just get blunt about it. 
and this is your answer, it's disappointing. It's really disappointing. You know, for years, people have said, what happened to Senator Feinstein? You know, she seems to have gone so far right. Um, we don't even hear from her. Of course, there was the praising of Lindsey Graham, uh, which was another sort of uh, head turner for us. And uh, in terms of LGBT rights, you've, you're nowhere to have been seen lately. And now in terms of this major catastrophe, that's a humanitarian catastrophe, it's an environmental catastrophe when you think about the phosphorus burning force down. And your answer is that you're going to wait for legislation, which would have to go through the House first, then to you, uh, after God knows how many thousands of people that have already, well, 5,000 plus have died already. Who knows how many more will die until something goes through legislation and comes to your desk. Uh, I'm really, really sorry that that's, this is the best you could do for This is the best answer to my letter. Um, I'm kind of speechless. There we have it. Let's get blunt means we have to be blunt with everyone, not just the right, but also the left, uh, and even call out people that we once respected. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Jane Wishon is the chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters and the political vice president of the Stonewall Democratic Club. She has held positions at several high-profile organizations, including as the board president for Marriage Equality USA, APLA Health, and a delegate to the California Democratic Party. Her experiences as a woman in a man's world forged her dedication to feminism and her frustration over the 2016 presidential election results rededicated her to resisting the current administration and its attempt to send our democracy back to the 18th century. Good morning, Jane. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you doing? Well, I, it's the great good news that we're going to have a new president come Inauguration Day is what we've been working on for four long years. So yes, I'm pretty excited about that. And you should and I should congratulate you. The West Side uh, Democratic Headquarters has been doing some amazing work. You did it two years ago with turning so many house seats. And then this year, you did a great job with California and uh, well, nationwide, actually, because you helped a lot of other uh, candidates throughout the country. Yeah, we um, we uh, connected with, or I guess teamed up with the California Democratic Party to run virtual phone banks for the last three weekends before the election. And one of the things I told every caller who was on those Zoom calls with us was, you know, each vote counts. And that we just needed to pick up a handful of votes per precinct in order to flip states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Georgia. So we made a lot of calls. We made over 100,000 calls in the last weekend to those states, as well as we made a lot of calls to Florida. Um, so really happy about that. Um, I think that it was really good work on the on the behalf of those states by California volunteers. And that's what we can do from here is to make sure people have all the information they need to vote. It's not yeah. at that point. It's not about telling them how to vote or trying to convince them. It's about making sure that people know that they are. Some cases they didn't realize they were registered. They thought they were too late. Right. Um, making sure they had the information they needed to cast their ballot. Yeah. So Trump is our 
obviously going to be contesting and he's going to be doing whatever he can to uh, do his usual Trumpian tactics. But uh, we essentially have uh, a new president uh, starting January yeah. 21st. We have a president-elect. We have a vice president-elect who has broken some glass ceilings. That's fantastic for the country. And um, let's just talk about California because so many of the representatives that are up for re-election, thanks to you and uh, the West Side Democratic headquarters, they've all been re-elected. Well, not most all of them. them. Most of yes. them, right. So of the, the House seats we flipped in 2018, you know, we always say they're renting that seat until they've been reelected a couple of times. Since they get you know, the election happens every two years, as soon as they get into the House, in some ways they have to start running again for the next election. So we do have some of the seats here in California that we flipped in 2018 that we need to be working, and we are working right now on what's called ballot curing which is where people had um, vote-by-mail ballots that perhaps they forgot to sign. Some people wrote their birth date instead of the date they signed it, things like that. We're trying to reach out to them because we actually are at risk of not holding our House majority if right. we don't get these um, candidates across the finish line. So on our website, westsidedemhq.org, you can find opportunities to go out and because a lot of the people aren't answering their phones anymore, you know, because right. honestly they've been called so many times we're doing safe door knocking to let people know that their ballot needs to be quote unquote cured, that they need, there's something wrong and they need to fill out an affidavit that indeed that was their ballot or whatever the appropriate paperwork is in order to cure and get that ballot counted. Now, that's an interesting thing you're bringing up. How do you, I don't mean you just personally, but organizations or people outside of that individual know that someone's ballot wasn't either signed or the date was wrong or date of birth was wrong? Uh, how is this information compiled um, and how is it that others have access to it? Well, the, um, the campaigns get access to information in their districts okay. um, and, and not in all states. Um, in some states, they make it very difficult. South Carolina comes to mind. But here in California, fortunately, we have county clerks and we have um, the Secretary of State. They want everybody's ballot to be uh, to be counted. And so because we've elected good people in those roles, they let um, they let the campaigns know which uh, which ballots are at risk. They, of course, we don't know how that person voted, but we do know that that ballot is not going to be counted unless it is um, unless it is cured, unless the paperwork is done. And so the uh, like Christy Smith, <clears throat> her campaign has a number of door knocking opportunities out in in the the various valleys that are part of that district right that's the seat that we flipped for katie hill in 2018 that we lost in the special election to a republican named mike garcia in um, april or may i think it was may this year <clears throat> and now we're trying to get it back for christy um also harley ruda's district in orange county and gil cisneros district in which is it uh, it sits across three different counties, but you know we are also doing door knocking for Gill as well and for Harley 
um, and both Gil and Harley were elected in that blue wave in 2018, we just have to make sure that we get them back into office so that we can continue. T.J. Cox yeah. up in 21, which I think is Kern County, um, it was the very last uh, race in 2018 to be decided. In fact, the Republican had gone to the first week of the orientation for Congress, and then it was, in fact, certified for T.J. Cox, the Democrat, so then he had to switch places with the Republican. So that's another place we're doing ballot curing, but we most of us can only do that by phone since it's a little more distant. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Jane Wishon, the chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters. I was going to bring up Chrissy Smith because it's it's a, one race that I've been following very closely. In the last few days, they keep changing who was leading. And I think right now Mike Garcia is leading according to what's been reported. Um, District 25, 83%, I believe. Well, quite a number of ballots are still to be counted. I was down at um, the counting facility in Downey yesterday on behalf of Christy Smith's campaign, watching them. And they, it is an amazing um, operation with these giant machines and, you know, all very carefully counted and, and uh, every ballot is accounted for. And um, it's really an amazing operation to watch. But that Christy Smith district, that district is partly Ventura County and partly L.A. County. She, I think, typically does better in the L.A. County portions of the district. Um, so we're still very hopeful that this this will be a win for us. Uh, but ballot curing out there is, is very important, and we are doing it. In fact, I'm going out there tomorrow out to Palmdale to, to knock doors to try to let people know that their ballots need, need some attention. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are a number of ballots that are to be counted, and what we know that more, more Republicans voted uh, in person and more Democrats voted by mail. So the chances are that a lot of them are for Chrissy Smith. Right. Well, we, we are certainly hopeful of that. Plus, there are more ballots to be cured, Democratic ballots to be cured, than the, than the number of votes that he is ahead by. Okay. So okay. if we can cure the Democratic ballots and get those secured for Christie, then, then I mean, we have every hope. Uh, obviously, nobody's making any prognostications right now on this, but it is too close to call. It is statistically a dead heat, as is Gil Cisneros' dis, uh, race. But um, we are hopeful that with our energy and our can-do attitude, which I think is what's been carrying us for the last four years, yeah. that we can we can get this one. Um, but we do, we, at this point, we have 214 of the 218 seats in the House that we need to secure a majority. So we do need to have all of our attention at this moment on getting these congressional seats across the finish line. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that the House became, I think, I'll just speak for myself. I was pretty confident that we were going to keep the House and flip the Senate. I'm surprised that we're actually fighting for the House at this point. Uh, I know that the Republicans were able to flip some some um, districts for themselves. What, how many are Republicans short from getting the majority? Well, I mean, I think there are, I can't remember now, I think there are 10 or 12 seats still up in the air. Okay. 
so we're four short, so they must be six mm-hmm. or eight short. But right. right now we're not leading in enough to to make this happen. So, and as you pointed out, it's flipping back and forth. So the lead is flipping back and forth. So it's it's all hands on deck again. I mean, I don't know about you. I thought the day after the election I was going to kick back. Yeah. And take a long nap and, you know, do my nails or something. (laughs) And instead it's been a continuation of this marathon. Yeah. As as we try to nail all these these races that we're trying to nail. And then don't get me started on the Senate, right? Yeah. So flipping the Senate comes down to the two Georgia Senate seats. So we're already gearing up, and again, you can find some information on the westsidedemhq.org website, but we're, we're gearing up to fundraise for the two candidates. It's uh, John Ossoff and Reverend Warnoff, um, Warnock, sorry. and uh, they're, we've already, That's a runoff, correct? It, they're both runoffs, right. and so we are putting together a fundraiser for them, we will be postcarding to Georgia. We won't be phone banking right away because, let's face it, those Georgia voters are really tired of hearing from. <laughs> but it's a quick turnaround. It's uh, I think it's January fifth that the runoff is. So we're going to we're going to be turning our attention once we get these uh, congressional seats all nailed. Then we will be turning our attention to Georgia and supporting Stacey Abrams, who is. A goddess. Um, She, uh, you know, her attention to making sure people are registered to vote is fabulous. We will be making phone calls to non-registered voters, young people who encourage them to register to vote. So because clearly their votes can make a huge difference this time. People who say my vote doesn't count. Welcome to the new world. Your vote counts. It counts so much. We're seeing that every day as they are counting different states for the presidential race. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're thinking about winning, winning a, um, a state by, say, 20,000 votes, um, a whole state by 20,000 votes, that's, you know, that every vote counts. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I'm your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Jane Wishon, the chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters. So one thing that I was kind of bummed about was Proposition 21 and Proposition 22. Um, I wanted Prop 21 to pass and for Prop 22 not to pass. Yeah. How do you feel about those? Well, I, um, you know, I, I will confess that uh, I'm still a little surprised at several several of the propositions. Um, I haven't really sat down and looked at the numbers yet. I do think that uh, I did not want 22 to pass. Um, I did want 21 to pass. Um, and but sometimes the campaign of disinformation, yeah. you know, and uh, like the bail bondsman one, you know, the the money bail one. Yeah. I think that's 25. It's like the myth, the, the money that goes in to these campaigns of disinformation, it's just shocking. It, it is shocking. And when people are receiving daily mailers alleging this or that or whatever, or are watching um, advertisements on TV um, that, you know, it shows some, you know, 
some grandfatherly type person or grandmotherly type person saying this will hurt me if it passes you know and some of these propositions are like 20 pages long yeah so this is not i am I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the proposition process in california i think that we elect our um our elected officials to sit down and wade through all the legal ramifications of, of various bills and whatever. That, that's where those decisions should be made, not by somebody who sees a something on TV and, and they vote with their, their heart, yeah, not understanding that that's not really what that proposition says. Yeah, it's very deceptive. Like Proposition 22, which would have helped a lot of people who work um, by driving, whether it be Uber or Lyft drivers or all the food delivery and such. Um, and yet a lot of them were on record saying that they were for it and they wanted it to pass because they were given uh, really bad information. Um, mm -hmm. What, $200 million were spent by Uber and Lyft and the other two companies? Oh, yeah. Um, just to make sure that people, you know, don't uh, have the correct information. It's yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, the, so, it, I mean, this isn't about a proposition, but I'm in the second supervisorial district. And so I got like daily mailings from candidates, both Herb Wesson and from Holly Mitchell's campaigns. And I thought the best one was from Holly Mitchell's campaign. And the front of it says, Holly Mitchell hates kittens. Oh. And then you open it and it says, you know, he'll say anything against Holly <laughs> to try to get you to vote against her. Wow. I mean, and, that's you know, because Yeah, the, the, um, the, uh, the kinds of mailings you get, you know, you, you have it for a moment in your hand. There's no backup information. You don't know in many cases whether you, you assume that because it came to you in the mail or because you hear it on TV that it may must have been fact-checked and it may be true, must be true. But that's yeah. not actually what happens, right? And so both for, the, especially for the propositions, people will write the things that will make you vote against your own self-interest because that all you're going on is what you saw on an ad or what you saw in a mailer. Again, I think that's what our, we get our, we pay our elected officials to make these decisions and to wade through the legal uh, jargon to make sure that the bills are good ones for their constituents. And I don't like that so much of it happens through our proposition process. Yeah. I want to um, go back to something positive because, God, we all deserve to have a little bit of a break and some celebration. You know, when I heard about what happened with the LA County supervisors, and you now we now have, uh, for the first time, five women, I thought, wow, this is a, such a landmark glass ceiling moment and i thought about justice ginsburg when she'd been asked how many uh, justices how many woman ju justices in the supreme court would be enough and she'd said nine and i thought mm -hmm. wow this is kind of you know it's not the supreme court but it's it's a very you know la county it's la county supervisors i believe it's the uh, most important county in terms of uh, numbers and to have uh, five women to be elected, I think that's such a something to celebrate about. Oh, absolutely. And they used to call them the five little kings, not right. in a good way. Um, and now now we have we're going to have five queens. Um, each supervisor is represents two million people. It is, in fact, 
one of the most powerful positions in the entire country to be an L.A. County supervisor. And to know that we have five women and I, you know, I think that they are five strong, intelligent and uh, I was going to say well-meaning, but it's stronger than that. I mean, these are people who are dedicated to making everyone's life better. I, I think this is a, a huge moment for us. Um, and I'm thrilled. I'm just thrilled. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I'm your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Jane Wishon, the chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters. We have we have it pretty good in California. I keep saying that. <laughs> grateful for it. So uh, we just, I guess now we have to just wait and see how far Trump is willing to take this circus. Well, he's going to go out kicking and screaming. And unfortunately, McConnell, because we did not get at this point, the, um, the majority of the Senate, he's going, he's already making noises that he's going to block by Biden's uh, cabinet appointments. See, the Senate it confirms all of those kinds of things, um, treaties, uh, Senate uh, cabinet appointments, as well as, of course, judges and Supreme Court justices. So this, these Georgia Senate seats, that it, it couldn't be more important. Uh, in, in some ways, maybe even more important than getting the presidency. Although, obviously, we're uh, how, we can maybe hold our heads up high again in the world. Uh, court of opinion because we've gotten rid of Trump. But but we have got to do something about the Senate. And I don't know, uh, you know, other than at least we have a path. At least we have a path still that we can work on. The poor voters at Georgia are going to get really tired of hearing from us. But we can hope and pray that they will do the right thing. Um, and Because those two candidates, those two Georgia Democratic Senate candidates, they're both amazing people. I don't know if you've read about them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like John Ossoff was a was a journalist who's you know he went into to areas and places to expose corruption. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is just a, an amazing person. And the Reverend is, uh, you know, I mean, he, the the idea that a man of God would well seriously take this job so that he can do the right thing it, you know georgia would be very lucky to have those two as their senators so and for, and for those who are listening excuse me if you didn't register to vote for november 3rd and you didn't vote you can still register to vote for the runoff in january yes. just fyi absolutely and those who want to help whether it's volunteer or just to donate uh, go to the Westside Democratic Headquarters website, which is uh, westsidedemshq.com, correct? No, it's Westside Dem, no S. Dem. Hq.org. .org. Westsidedemhq.org. Correct. And um, we will be organizing a voter registration drive with Field Team 6, which is a great organization here in Southern California, who normally is out canvassing. But in the COVID environment, of course, we can't do that. But we'll be calling um, young voters and texting young voters to try to encourage them to register to vote, hoping that they'll see how important their vote will be in this runoff. Um, typically, Democrats don't do as well in runoffs. Um, because Republicans show up to vote every single time, and Democrats, we don't always show up. Right. So 
that's going to be part of our job, too, is to make sure that um, all of our Democratic voters and independents who would like to see Mitch McConnell not be the the, uh, the head of the Senate, um, that they will show up and vote um, in this election in Georgia. It's it's couldn't be more important. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm glad that you emphasized that. And one last thing I want to celebrate is um, Seppi Shine winning the West Hollywood City Council seat. I think that's a huge um, thing that she's happened. She's great. She ran last time um, and just narrowly missed being elected. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really thrilled that both she and John Erickson will be um, the two new city council people for West Hollywood. I think they bring new vision and energy, um, and and I'm thrilled that there'll be a lesbian uh, elected to West Hollywood City Council for the first time since since the original the city council. Yep. Only the second one ever. Yeah. Yeah, so good for Seppi. Well, Jane, thank you so much for all your wisdom and all the information. What, anything else you'd like to add that we didn't go over? Just, um, I would... I would hope that the listeners understand that, yes, this has been a long four years. Yes, we've been running this marathon. We had hoped that we could coast for a little bit. But the reason that the Republicans, uh, the reason we're in this mess is because Republicans spend time on every election, midterm elections, special elections, every single time that there's uh, some something on the ballot they show up and i think we as democrats hopefully have learned our lesson that we need to elect county clerks and state governments that will um be fair and equal and and make sure that everyone has a chance to vote and that don't gerrymander uh districts um so that you know everybody has a chance everybody has a chance to have a say and have a vote so well said well said, Jane. So just one last time. That's westsidedemhq.org. Yep. If you want to volunteer or donate, they can certainly use that. So Yeah, I already have a link up on the website uh, for the two uh, Senate candidates. All the money that is donated through that link on our website will go directly to those campaigns. We're not taking any portion of it. It's not, you know organized by us it is their link and we hope that uh people will be able because the the all of the um the ceilings on what you're allowed to donate starts again because it's a runoff so we hope that people will help out those candidates they're amazing people and um we you know our work isn't done but wow we we have a huge win with getting biden and kamala uh, Kamala Harris into the White House and the vice presidency. Huge, huge win. Um, I do think we should all congratulate ourselves and one another on that. Because, you know, fascism is difficult to get rid of. And that's right. what we had with Trump. So the people spoke. And I know he's going to go kicking and screaming, but he will go. And our work yes. continues, um, but we have some great successes that we can feel good about in our movement towards uh, making sure everybody can vote and that everyone has a say. Thank you. Thank you, Jane, for all that you've done and for keeping us uh, informed. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, say good luck to all of us in the next few days, weeks, and uh, we'll chat again. 
Great. Thank you so much. Thank really you, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go out and do some ballot curing. <laughs> nice. Right. Thanks. That was Jane Wishon, the chair of the Westside Democratic Headquarters, whose work is not done even after the elections. She continues to work and to fight for Georgia and other places where work is still needed. Uh, so thank you, Jane, for taking the time to be on the show today. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.